This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. <laughs> How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Coming at you um, on, we're on the edge. Not the edge of glory. What's the opposite of the edge of glory? The edge of darkness, I suppose, right? Uh, but we're going we're gonna to try to be upbeat uh, this pod. So um, uh, first, let me introduce my co-host, the one and only. Uh, he has been putting in the work. As they say, uh, the magic is in the, the magic is still in the work. That doesn't change um, this postseason um, with us uh, every step of the way and uh, has had uh, a hell of a day to say nothing of the Nick game. Um, so we're recording this on, on Sunday after the game. Jeremy Cohen. Uh, welcome, sir. How are you? I'm exhausted, John. <laughs> I'm so I get, tired. I um, so, for those of you who don't know, which would be all of you, <laughs> I, my parents and I are staying at my grandfather's old place. And late last night, when I was going to take a shower, I turned the faucet on, and the coil that's connected to the toilet broke. It, it completely corroded um, due to inactivity, most likely, and water was everywhere, and it soaked downstairs and it was just a nightmare uh just everything flooded um fortunately we're all okay not too much damage as well in terms of like things lost but i was hoping for a Knicks win to kind of yeah frot me up um but they decided to lose the yankees decided to let me down all weekend uh just just all around fun what, stuff what do you think was was um more was flowing more freely the uh speaking of flowing more freely someone just left a surprise on my lap um uh the uh, atlanta pick and roll game um or the water coming from wherever it was coming from uh in your in the basement there it was 100 percent the water it was the water. okay it would not stop just so, a lot of water i mean okay. neither would neither would the other option but <laughs> <laughs> this one uh when you're in the heat of the moment, it's it's worse. okay. I got you. Um, okay. Well, uh, look, um, the Knicks are down three one. Uh, there there are many ways that we can go about uh, this this podcast episode. Um, try to be all fake, upbeat, and positive. Everything's great. We're not going to do that shit. Um, embody uh, a certain segment of Nick's Twitter, which apparently I, I I have not had time to go on Twitter today. But from what I see from some text messages, is apparently not a very safe place. Um, we're not doing that shit either. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna try to play this one straight. Um, so if you're looking for doom and gloom, if you're looking for all sunshine and rainbows, I'm not sure you're gonna find either here. But we are gonna try to put this thing in perspective because I think that's 
you know, when you when you lose when you have a, a storybook season, the likes of which the Knicks have had, and I don't think there's any other way to to describe their season. It it's been. I mean, listen, I, I, we've said it on this podcast. You could watch sports for 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 decades and not really have something quite like this year when it goes so, so sideways and, and just it, it happens so so fast. Um, it's definitely, you know, it, it could be. It's easy to kind of lose sight um, of, of where of where things are. So I guess that's a good place to start. It, I mean, I don't know if we're talking like, should we should we talk about our confidence meter or should we talk about our disappointment meter? I. I want to start with the confidence meter. I am. I think there's still a, a world where this team wins this series. Um, I don't know that I feel strongly about that. I think it's probably. I don't know if it's a one in five shot, a one in ten shot, something in that in that range. Um, where do you think there's like a prayer, a snowball's chance in hell, a snowball's chance in like um, North Carolina in like November? Where, where, where are you at? I mean, I what I see in front of me. Oh boy, is this is not going to be good. A sports team from Atlanta <laughs> holding a very generous lead. Oh, okay. And uh, look, the reality is that I I'm not going to eulogize the Knicks when they're not dead, right? There's no point in doing no. it. No. But I think that the ability to win in Madison Square Garden and then come back to Atlanta and win a game—that's a tall task. Uh, <laughs> it's really tough. I think. Well. There just haven't been that many opportunities in the NBA where three-one comebacks have been around for, and there's a reason why. Yeah. And I think that if this team had more star power than it currently does, maybe if there were other reasons why the Knicks just flat out were not you know, competing with Atlanta, it'd be a different situation potentially. But I'm not very optimistic about the chances. But again, I can't I can't sit here and be like, well, the series is over and whatever. It's it's not. No. I'm sure that. When the time comes, if the time comes, we will be talking about it in the past tense. But for now, I'm not going to do that. Um, that's actually a good transition. Um, disappointment for me is a tough word because on one hand, the the part of my brain that like always knew what this team was and what this team wasn't. Um, and and also considering just how amazing the season has been and just how important this season has been for the overall state of the franchise, the perception of the franchise around the league, the perception of the franchise by the people within the franchise, you know, the players, you know, the, the, like all of that stuff is still there. That's not going to I mean, they could get blown out on Wednesday. And I don't think uh, I mean, no, I don't think a lot of that's going to change. So, like, disappointment is, is not a word that, again, logically, I feel comfortable associating with this team at all this season, almost regardless of what's happening now, um, especially given the fact that, as we talked about, and people may have been mad at us for bringing it up, like, the 3-0 record in the regular season really didn't mean anything. Not when you look at the Hawks and what they, who they had and who they were being led by, you know, for, for those games. Um, and some of the circumstances, you know, Young going out injured, the whole thing. Um, all of that. All of that being said, it's impossible not to be disappointed down 3-1. I, like, 
Especially since you felt like they were going to come out today and like, I don't know, definitely going to win. No, it's a game on the road in the playoffs. But like for it to get away from them like that, and we'll talk about maybe some of the reasons why um, I, you know, it's it's disappointing. (laughs) It's it's disappointing. It is disappointing. I think the biggest emotion I felt after the game was embarrassment because this is a team where we thought that they were going to look more competitive than they did today. Um, I mean, it was just an absolute drubbing in the second half. It was, to a degree, unwatchable. And it was just painful to have to sit through that game. I mean, like, at least the nice thing about Game 3 was that we knew it was essentially over before it was over. And we're here, it's like, oh, you know, it's only a four-point game at halftime, and we know this is a second-half team in so many ways. And then before you know it, it's like, nope, the game is just completely out of reach. And the towel is thrown in, and... Guys are getting super aggressive and they're letting it get to them and you're just kind of left befuddled. Um, I was talking with uh, the one and only uh, Nick's Illustrated today, actually, and he brought up a great point. And he said that, you know, the idea of the narrative behind playing the Hawks, I think, affects a lot of things. Because if this team team were to play the Bucks, right, and go out as sad as the Heat just did, how would we be feeling? We'd say like, wow, that's a team that is so good. They've got Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, they're a great team. But on the other hand, you know, the Heat just got swept. We're facing a team in Atlanta that we think we're on par with, but they are ahead of schedule compared to the Knicks. And they spent more money than the Knicks did this offseason. Uh, when you look at the fact that the Knicks, of their $100 million in payroll, 80% of it is on active players. That means 20%, $20 million is dedicated to players who are not playing for the Knicks. And it just goes to show that they're at different points yeah. in their careers or their, yeah. their trajectories. RJ Barrett is the second option for the Knicks. Where else is he a second option? Well, he's, I mean, he ha- he's not a second option in these playoffs. Right, Derek of course, Rose it's Derek is Rose, like, but, obviously the first. But the yeah. Knicks went in as well with the idea of him yeah. being a primary yes. focus, and he, he can't even do that for his own team. And again, that's, this is not to slander RJ Barrett. He's 20 no. years old. It's just that he and the rest of the Knicks are in a position where, you know, just everything is hitting the fan at once and it's making everything look worse because it's all combusting at once. So, yeah, and I, yeah, no, that that's really well said. And I, I, the one thing I do want to clarify, I, I would not define their effort today or in game four as embarrassing. I don't think their effort was embarrassing. I second, thought second half, I thought it was really, I thought it when everything kind of like, came undone at the seams, I really wasn't a fan of what was going on. So, like, I, I understand the foul. I get it. But to me, it just seemed like we're down and all we can really do is try to hit you in the mouth, but we're also not going to have our play back up what we're feeling. Like, unless the Knicks go back to game five and then win game six and make it a series and have it go to game seven, like, it just felt, it just felt unnecessary. I get why they did it 100%. It was more... I'm not... Con- I'm not condemning it or condoning in either way. I don't I, like, it doesn't really matter to me. It's just the idea of like, that's the best you've got. The most firepower that you seem to have is physically attacking and beating up on the other team as they punch you in the mouth by scoring on you repeatedly. I, here's what I'll say. I think they're putting it in perspective. They had a seven point lead. The Hawks did with under six minutes to go in the third quarter. From that point, it got away because the Knicks didn't hit any shots and the Hawks hit every shot as they have been for most of the series. I guess, you know, even though this, this ended up being a 25 point game at one point, um, 
I don't mind the fact that the you know you know Randall had a hard foul on on Gallo at the end there, and it was overt, and like he's clearly frustrated, and the whole team was frustrated, and I get all of that. Um, but it's more like I don't know. I I feel like yes, they were sloppy. Um, yes, they lost their poise. But and and again, maybe it's just because I've watched too much shitty basketball all my life with a lot of teams that really just don't care. Um, and not to mention the fact that like I've also watched these playoffs, right? And you get teams like the Wizards coming out against the Sixers and and going down thirty to fourteen in the first eight minutes of the game at home, you know. Um, and like that's not the that's just one example that comes to my head. Like there have been other examples where teams are just not playing any defense in some of these series. Like even after today, the Knicks are still the sixth best uh, have the sixth best defensive rating in the in the playoffs and look that's is that a little bit of an apologist take absolutely it's a more than a little bit of an apologist's take but it is accurate like they're still doing what they do it's still kind of Knicks basketball it just got away from him today because they couldn't make a damn shot um and and the and the Hawks hit a lot of threes and yes their defense was not perfect but far from it but I don't know. I just I, I that 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 maybe it's because that that word embarrassing is like a trigger for me. That's that's all it is. I get it. I mean, I did think that Julius looked pretty lackadaisical. I thought some of the passes were lazy. I thought some of the closeouts were just trash. You know, like that's the sort of thing where it stood out to me. Where it's not like guys just didn't try. They did. It just then felt like the moment the Hawks started to accelerate, they didn't really match that intensity and then it was too late and it kind of felt like the second quarter of the previous game where it's just like okay they're gone what are you gonna do about it you're just gonna shrink even more and sure this is a make or miss league right i mean think about how many wide open looks the knicks have had and just it hasn't gone down the in and outs that have that occurred even to start the third quarter as well where i was thinking hey Maybe this is something good. Maybe the Knicks can actually rebound from this. And then the first shot goes in and out. And I'm thinking that's got to be foreshadowing in some way. And it kind of was. And then it just, I don't know. But I feel like an airball would have honestly been more of a premonition at that point. That's a good transition because um, we've mentioned a couple of things, but let's let's actually nail this down. So the Knicks are down 3-1. Uh, they lost this game by a lot of points. What's the biggest, I, let's zoom out from the game and let's focus on the series as a whole. What do you, I mean, to to ask what the biggest reason is they're down 3-1, it feels like it's a different way of asking, is the biggest reason they're down 3-1, like, what percentage of it is Julius Randle, and what percentage of it is other stuff? Um, it's It's impossible to talk about this series in any other way, to me at least, than we are witnessing a star turn by Trey Young on one hand. And then we're witnessing a guy who, you know, he's going to finish whatever he's going to finish in the MVP race, sixth, seventh, eighth, whatever it is, um, you know, play like, I, I mean, I, I don't really know how to describe it. I mean, he's, is he letting the moment get to him? Is he just, I mean, I don't, I don't know, whatever it is, it's just, it's not good. Um, and it's, it's, it's when, when that's their, that when that's been their MO the whole season. So here's what I'm going to say. I think it's like probably... It's definitely Julius Randle's the biggest reason. However, I also look at Julius Randle and, and you know, the shooting and Ju- Julius and shooting, shooting and Julius have gone hand in hand for a while now in the season. 
And the fact that the shooting has also gone away, is that because of Randall? Is that part of what is why Randall is struggling? Like to me, those two things go together. And then maybe we could talk about the Tibbs stuff, but like, I don't know. I think the shooting is almost up there right along with Julius. Where 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 are you uh, want to lay blame right now? Well, it has to start with Julius. He is the engine that makes this team go. And when he doesn't work, the Knicks don't work as a whole. You know, I thought that today, at least certainly in the first half, I thought that Trey's uh, Trey Young's shot selection was absolute garbage. It was terrible. Uh, the threes he was taking, it, it felt to me like he was trying to play with his food. Um, and I was like, oh, let me see how I can just absolutely stunt on the Knicks. And it wasn't working out for him in that no. capacity. He figured out a way to impact the game more in the second half. Yeah. But, you know, like, and I agree, he is, you are seeing a star be born more in a playoff mindset. But also, I keep thinking if the Knicks tinkered with their defensive strategy, if they had someone working as a point of attack defender and you're limiting what Trey is able to do, what kind of impact is he having on the game? What are we saying about him as a whole? How many guys could do that, though? Really, in the of league? Of course, I know. Again, he's he's a star. Don't get me wrong. It's and he's going to be continuing to be that. It's just a question of is he does he have this much of an impact if the Knicks basically try to react in some other way? I think because, it's sorry. Yeah, keep going. No, it's just like Derrick Rose is not a point of attack defender. Um, no, they can switch Randall onto him, and it can well, have which some they success. did a lot in Game Four. Yeah, right. But it just you know at a certain point though, if they switch back or or. The fact that really also pissed me off was that he had three fouls going into halftime, I, and the Knicks failed to attack in any way. They just why they wouldn't pick on the weakest defender in that grouping and try to even get him out of the game because he's in foul trouble well, is beyond me. I so Tibbs was asked about this before the game, and you probably read the response. He basically said, "We are trying. We are attacking him." That was what he said. He said, we're, we're doing it. And he mentioned some th- specific things. He mentioned, you know, we're putting him in pick and roll sometimes. We're, we're rescreening and he, whatever he said, whatever else he said. It's very, to me, it's very clear that they, they do not have the personnel to pull this off as well as they would like to. Um, and it's going to be very interesting if the Hawks win this series because it's, we could be looking at a situation where, Atlanta gets their doors blown off in the next series because for as good as this matchup kind of is for the Hawks against the Knicks is as bad as that next matchup will be against the Sixers because they have the def- they have a couple defenders who might be able to shut Trey Young down in Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel and they also have the ability to put a bunch of guys on the floor at once who are going to be able to expose him the Knicks are not doing that now is there more I think the real question of the series other than like you know the, the the narrative based stuff is is there more Tibbs could have done slash could be doing to get Trey Young into foul trouble and like I, maybe there is I it's it's not as obvious to me I guess is where I'm gonna end up. It's another question is I always find it's kind of pointless to play the woulda coulda shoulda game but the idea of how impactful this series is if you have Mitchell Robinson in there instead oh it's. Like, again, Massive. right. So if that's the case, and again, he's not playing, pretty obvious that it's not going to be the case, but the ability to at least you know, switch more, to, to have the Capella role and not have someone like Noel, who is just a shell of himself, who does not look healthy out there whatsoever, who is not making a huge impact. Uh, Taj obviously was wonderful, especially on the defensive end. I thought that the worst part was that the Knicks botched 
his best defensive contributions. Uh, and even Taj, too, I thought he forced that um, that turnover that he created in the first quarter. Um, he had an open rose and he kind of just ignored it. And then Bullock tra- uh, traveled when... Oh, the Bullock travel, which is, it kills you. Yeah. Right. And, you know, like, I get it that they're laughing it off because, like, you know, at what point what can you do? But it's also like, guys, I, I'm glad you're, you're you know, laughing well, it off. Well, I think they're trying point. to stay calm. Right. And, and stay like, because what's the alternative to laugh it off? The alternative is to be like, fucking this, we're, this is getting to us and to acknowledge the obvious, which is that the playoffs are getting to these guys. Right. No, I, I understand. Again, I'm, I'm not, I think it could have either gone None one way or the other. Answers. It could have been like laughing about it or just furious. It was Here, more just. Here's the good answer. Don't fucking double triple when you're in yeah. a two on one. Oh my God. It's, it really is frustrating. I, I don't know. I, I. There's there is there is blame to go around. Randall has not been good. Um, really, nobody has been good other than Derek Rose and Taj Gibson. Um, call it like it is. Uh, and you know, RJ had some moments on Sunday. Um, Burks had some moments in Game One. Uh, Bullock had some moments in Game Two. Uh, everybody's had a couple of moments here and there, but no one has had a good series other than the two you know old old uh, thoroughbreds, uh, Tom Thibodeau's guys. Um, Tibbs has not coached his best series. I don't I don't think there's any question about that. But, you know, at the end of the day, and this is maybe a good transition to to our next thing is like they're down 3-1. Okay. I don't think anyone's arguing that they're the more talented team in the series, right? Is that an argument? Is that a valid argument, do you think? Not really. At least not now. I think a lot of Knicks fans saw the Hawks with a similar record. And yeah. completely disregarded the fact that Lloyd Pierce was their David Fisdale in a lot of ways. And That's... they were red hot. And, you know, like if you fire Lloyd Pierce five games earlier, are the Hawks five whole games better than the Knicks at the end of the year? Right. And, and, at the beginning of the season, are they? Are we talking about them actually having a record that's comparable with the Bucks in terms of how their play is working out? Yeah, no, and hundred percent. Um, but the and the other thing is like, so you you couple that, and the fact that Bogdanovich is now healthy, that every, every pretty much everybody except Cam Reddish, which might not be very good, um, is healthy. I, losing Cam Reddish might, might be as important as getting Bogdan <laughs> Bogdanovich back. How crazy is that? Um, you know, all all of that stuff, and then you. You throw in Randall's struggles and you throw in the shooting struggles. Just one note on the shooting again, as I often do. I'm stealing from from Monday's newsletter. Do you realize this team? Like every clearly, they were shooting the three well over the last bit of the season. I don't know if, if people realize quite how well over the last 17 games they were hitting 44 percent of their threes. The next best team over that same stretch, final 17 games of the season, which is not insignificant sample size. It's about a quarter of the of the season this year, 72 games. Um, the next closest team was Portland at a little over 40%. The distance between them and Portland over that stretch of 17 games was the same distance as was between Portland and the 18th best team over that same stretch. They were literally shooting threes over the, uh, the final quarter of the season in a different stratosphere of any other team. And now for two straight games, two straight, the Knicks have made under 10 three-pointers. They made nine in each game. They, over the last 27 regular season games, you know how many games they didn't hit 10, at least 10 three-pointers? Over the last 27 games? 27 games. So they haven't, they've have failed to reach that number in the last two. 
Over the previous 27 regular season games, how many times did they not reach that number? I'm going to say three. Two. Twice. Uh, they just, it, it's when you take away that and then you factor in Julius's struggles and everything we talked about with the Hawks getting healthy, getting a better coach, like the whole talent thing is like, I, no, they're not the, mo- the most talented team. So how else could they win the series? And, and it's like, well, you know, you by hook or by crook, like there's, yes, could they be doing more? Absolutely. Should they be like up 3 1 in this series? I don't, I don't know that we could sit here and say that given the what we're seeing. So then when you get some of these takes out there, um, I mean, a few of them are, are a, not, I don't love. Um, do you have a, a least favorite of everything? Because for me, the, the topic that I'm already kind of getting, I really don't want to talk about this uh, mindset of is the whole Julius Randle contract thing and how four games is now all of a sudden a referendum on whether this guy is worthy of keeping around and trying to figure out how to build your team around over the next several years. That is my biggest one. And I talked about it on the last pod. So I don't, you know, the idea to me is this, um, basically with Julius Randall's next contract, I looked it up. If you were to sign for the max this summer and get that 120% off of, uh, what his contract would be, um, for next year, which would be about $26 million. We're looking at a player who would be making the 38th most money in the NBA in 2022. Now, that's also not considering other players who are going to make more than that, like Trey Young, for example, or like a Luka Doncic. There are other guys. Who All are of going the rookie contract extension guys who are, go- it's first day maxes. You know? Right. Yeah. So what we could be talking about is Julius Randle earning closer to 40, even 45. So it's basically like this. You're telling me that if Julius Randle can play at maybe even if it's like a top 30 player, right? Let's say this year he's even a bit of an outlier and he doesn't play like a top 20 player, even top 15 player, arguably, if he's an all-NBA player. Let's say it's a little bit worse, but he's still that, you know, quote-unquote regular season player. We're still talking about a guy who is making enough money where he is outperforming his contract, where he's adding more value than what he is taking up. And, and this idea where it's like, well, playoffs are the only thing that matters. Who the fuck do you think got the Knicks to where they are other than Tom Thibodeau? It's Julius goddamn Randle. And it's this thing where you can look at Julius Randle and the stats that he is providing and the inability (laughs) for him to carry this team in the playoffs right now and still say, hey, he's also responsible for a lot of the good things. You don't have to say that the good things are canceled out because, as you said, four games of a playoff series and, and like the idea that Julius Randle has no idea how to shoot in front of crowds because, oh yeah, the first, what, six seasons of his career, he just didn't play in front of people, right? Yeah. He was in a bubble that time too. It's absurd. It, it just is. And this idea where like, you can look at Julius Randle earning $26 million and still be a second or third option in an offense. I, I don't think there are a lot of people who are saying Julius Randle has to be or can well, be your number one on a playoff team or a legitimate contender. So when you evaluate all of that, and, and just say like, hey, we're paying a dude to be a second or third option and to play like a second or third option. And we're going to find ways to get that alpha in the building. Yep. You sign up for that. So I, I just know because I've seen it a lot in my mentions because I did tweet about it and it, it happened to resonate with a lot of people. And I'm glad it did. But for those who were against it, like there are people telling me that Julius Randle would be better off in China. And it's like, okay, you're, you're going to look back at this tweet Maybe not tomorrow, 
maybe not the day after, but eventually, and just laugh at the idea that the most most improved player in the NBA you think should go to China. It's so the, bonkers. So the, a couple of things. One, um, let's just call it like it is. Here's what Julius Randle isn't doing this series. Julius Randle isn't hitting tough shots. All he's taking is tough shots, and that's because on the Knicks offense – he has to take tough shots because if he doesn't take shot tough shots and doesn't make some tough shots, no one's going to come to double him. And then there is no more Knicks offense. Knicks offense go poof up in smoke. He has made those tough shots all year long. He has not made as many of them in this, in this postseason. There's there's that is undeniable. Um, however, he's still making the right play. I would argue most of the time, if like a, a significant portion of the time, I thought his game four again, he finished whatever he finished at seven for 15 or seven for 17. So the shooting line was not great, um, but he ended up with, you know, he got 10 rebounds. He got his seven assists. He had over 20 points. Like you could see him starting to figure it, figure it out. Um, and guess what? If you move him down the totem pole and you make him the second best player on the team, all of this stuff changes dramatically because God forbid they ever figure out a way to get some real spacing on the floor, whether it's with Obi or, or just some real movement shooters and give you some, some depth, a stretch five, perhaps whatever. There are different ways to do it. And you get that number one piece. And all of a sudden Julius Randall isn't, you know, and, and he has not been a good finisher this year. He's not been a good finisher in this postseason. I don't want to make any bones about that, but he has shown the propensity to be not a good finisher in this league, but an elite finisher in this, in this league. So we know he could do that. We just saw him like it, it's, it's not like we're seeing a guy become a shell of himself. We're seeing a guy struggle in tough circumstances. He has not raised his game. Trey Young has raised his game. Julius Randall is like flatlining. All of it is true. The second thing that I, I, but he's still, you know, good. The second thing I want to say, look at the, look at where this organization has been for the last 20 years. And so here comes along this guy who bought into this coach, who worked his ass off in the summer, who embodies this family dynamic of this team as much as anyone, who is exactly the type of guy, leader that you could have, like, what, what better leader could anybody have possibly imagined? And now he's going to have a bad playoff series. So you want the Knicks front office to be like, you know what? Thanks. But no, thanks. We're good here. I mean, it's just it's 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 just very silly. It's a terrible take for anybody who has it out there. Sorry, but it's a terrible. take. <laughs> I'd, um, Imagine going to your boss and presenting them with the worst idea imaginable and then be like, oh, they totally should make this move. Because that to me is the idea, like the idea of, well, Julius Randle can't necessarily be here long term because he's not going to be that alpha. So the Knicks should sell high on him yeah. later on because what if this is a fluke and all these things? And it's like the guy completely overhauled his game in the offseason last year. In a year where we crushed him so no. much that he blocked you on Twitter, John, and other people as well. <laughs> that is how how bad it got for Julius. Yeah, Randall. no, it was bad. And it was he, bad. he just worked every single day and made himself better. And it's amazing to me how four games thus far, you know what, let's just say the series, right? Because in the event that he has Whatever. a game, it, it, like, it, it's still going to be, well, he still he, had those still, games and it's gone. He's still got some time to turn. He started he turning it around today. I actually thought he he got better as the game went on today. He looked more like himself. Or, more or again, on Sunday, yeah. Yes. 
Um, but the idea as well, where it's like, if this guy can work that hard and yeah. be the player who got the Knicks to this position where we can even talk about Knicks playoff basketball instead of us dialoguing once a week about what ping pong balls will work out oh and the Knicks just slide down in the draft, like, that to me is you're now going to see Randall and be like, okay, great. What did I not do well in the playoffs? Oh, okay, cool. Let me work harder on that and spend my entire summer focusing on it and my energy to become a better player. And also let the front office look at what transpired in these playoffs whenever they shall end. Yeah, it's um, a learning experience. Yeah, like, and be like, we, we okay. We have learned so yeah. much about all of these players, the coaching staff, the front office that we did not have 12, 15 yeah. months ago. And that is important intel that can help build this team out moving forward because Rome wasn't built today. And guess what? For, I mean, I don't think anybody in the Knicks front office was under any illusions about whether Randall was a number one, you know, mask or, like that we had just not revealed himself. But yeah, after this series, <laughs> look at each other and be like, okay, we got answered that question. We know what he is. We know what he isn't. Let's figure out what to do from here. And hey, guess what? If there's an opportunity to move, Ju- I don't think they're going to do this, but if there's an opportunity to move Julius Randall, you know, and it makes sense team building wise to do it. Like, I, I don't like all we're having a conversation about is like whether or not they should pay him the contract that you're you just spoke about. And for all the reasons we've just said it, it would be ridiculous for them not to offer him that. There are some other bad takes. I, I, I mean, the Tibbs can't coach thing is um, I again, I have been Tibbs apologist number one all year. So I'm probably not the most objective person to, to talk about this. But again, it's more like. Has he had his best series? No, he hasn't had his best series. Is there things he maybe would like to take back and try differently in the whole thing? Yes. Um, is he, to me, the most, the, the person almost as much as Randall's most responsible for turning this franchise around? More than Leon Rose, more than Wes, more than whoever you want to say. Yes. So I, 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 you know, I have a little, I have a little tough time with the Tibbs can't coach thing. And then there's some other takes about, you know, that the Knicks maybe should have done more at the deadline. Um, I don't know. The, <laughs> is anybody actually saying I wish the Knicks would have tanked? Again, I'm not really all over Twitter right now. Are people saying that? I've gotten the sense that that is actually. Oh, Jesus some Christ. Thoughts. It's, you know, the idea of like, why are we going out with one playoff win when we could have had our ping pong balls closer on? Yeah, exactly. Um, I do think that Tibbs got outcoached, but being outcoached does not or has been outcoached. I shouldn't say past tense. Um, but that also doesn't mean that Tibbs is a worse coach than McMillan. The Bucks just swept the Heat, and I think Eric Spolstra is a far better coach than Mike Budenholzer. Oh, he's a but Spolstra is widely acknowledged as the, right. the like the best coach in basketball now. Right, but he was outcoached. It happens. Um, yeah. Um, the any other takes you want to talk about? I'm, I'm again. I'm not the best person to do this because I, I there's a reason I don't really go and scroll Twitter as much as I used to. Um, two kids does have something to do with it. Um, the, I guess the only other thing I'll, I'll comment on is um, the Frank thing. People will and look, I get it. Like. It, 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 Frank's not playing. There's always going to be a contingent of fans who are like, why isn't Frank playing? Um, I think if you look at this series and you look at their offensive struggles in this series, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's like, if we had a, like a, a, like a walking bucket on the bench, you know, like if, for instance, if like quickly had shown what he showed this year and like, he wasn't playing, I'd be like, can you get in the guy who can like make stuff happen by himself? 
I, I just I don't get the sense that like Frank is the thing that's missing from the series. Is that a, a, do you disagree there? Or? No, I don't disagree. It just the message that's being sent is so bizarre to me. It's like, hey, Frank, we want you in there as a defender at the end of the quarter, but we also don't trust you whatsoever in oh, no any offense. other moment. Yeah, no. Again, like he's he's more of a defensive specialist than he is offensive. I don't think we're no no one, no one's going to argue. But that. <laughs> the, on the other hand, like Frank did a very good job in a spot of role. And he for did. a team that can't seem to hit any three pointers, I figure like, hey, if you're also having trouble I, with Trey Young and a point of attack defense, why wouldn't you figure out a way to at least incorporate him more into the game as opposed to like giving him minutes at the end of the second I, end of the fourth quarters and garbage time towards the end of the fourth today. I think if they thought that Frank could single-handedly like really give Trey problems, I think they would go to it. I don't think they think that. And if I'm being honest, I'm not sure they have a real reason to think that. I, I Again, I, I think... I think because Frank has been such an upgrade defensively over pretty much anything we've had over the last several years, and it's really not close, um, there is this perception of him as like a like a top five perimeter defender in the league. He's not that. He's he a top I don't know, is he a top twenty perimeter defender in the league, 15, 20, 25, something like that in that range. Yeah. Is are you gonna put him on Trey Young and Trey Young's like just gonna go away? That's not going to happen. So Sorry, no, Sorry, I, I, I get it. It's the message. That's the thing. It's the yeah, message it's you're fun. sending in terms of what he's able to do and what he's not. Well, also and, the grass is always greener, right? Yes. They're down 3-1 and this guy sitting on the bench and he, ha- I mean, what does he hit this year from three? 40 something percent or 50 percent? I don't know. 47, I think. It's, anyway. it's obscene. It's really good. 90th percentile spot up. Yeah. No, he's been great. great. Um, hey, look. You never know what's going to happen. More series to go, Uh, which gets us to. um, Okay. Do they come back from this? What is the path to come back from this? How confident are we that they come back from this? I mean, we talk about our conference levels a little bit already. Um, here's, Here's the path, I think, of how they come back. I think the Hawks... I feel like I, I've said this after a few games now. I don't think the Hawks can play any better than they have played. Um, I don't think the Hawks can shoot much better than they've shot, especially over the last couple of games. Um, it doesn't feel like they've missed a big three yet in this series. Have they? Maybe game two. I guess they probably missed a game, a big, a big three or two in game two. That's about it. Um, but they've hit a ton of them. Um, John Collins was draining it from all over the court on, on Sunday, game four. Um, so I think the path for them is maybe Hawks miss a few more shots. Um, and what we saw from RJ on Sunday, what we saw from Julius on Sunday is the beginning of something more. I don't think what RJ and Julius did on Sunday is going to be enough. I think Julius needs to do more. I think RJ needs to do more. And I think someone else needs to emerge. And this is the big thing for me. I think they could win game five and get this thing back to Atlanta if either, whether it's Burks or Bullock or quickly comes about in a big way. And then, yeah, there's other stuff. I mean, we saw Tibbs go small today. He played um, Toppin and Randall together for a lot in the fourth quarter, whether that's because they were down so much and he just wanted, or maybe he's like, hey, listen, we may, I may want to go to this when it's actually still a close game. 
I don't, I don't know. We're going to see that. I don't know that I'm going to sit here and be like, that's the thing we need to bring us back. Um, I just think some, one of their supporting players need to step up and like start making some stuff happen in a significant way. And their big guys need to come through. That's where I'm at. Has to be. I mean, look how many wide open shots the Knicks have missed. Oh, Jesus. To the point where you think, okay, well, it's got to correct itself. But, but then you're also wondering, well, what if this is the correction from the torrid shooting that you were talking about? Dating back probably those in last between, games. right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Probably averages out to some degree. So, I mean, for me, the, the X factor for the Hawks is still Bogdanovich, in my opinion. Just the idea of because when he hits at least three threes, I believe, as I mentioned before, he, like the Hawks do very well as a result. And again, like he's been someone who is in the right place at the right time, uh, especially game one when RJ couldn't come up with the steal and Bogdanovich fell right into his lap. Sunk to three and Ugh. the rest escalated to the point it was. So it was only like, a week ago. I know, I know. And to me, that that <sighs> might be the the series turning kind of like well, what if, even though it was game one. No, I I thought it at the. I mean, I did. I actually say it. I may have said it at the time. Well, I don't, at the time, yeah, I said okay. it was the RJ three that rimmed out that, and Lou Will went down in the third quarter and scored. And well, that scored again that but, hurt, but right, you know, that, because, that could have closed the door, but it didn't. Yeah, I mean, let's. God, it, it, how different would this feel if they were sitting here and it was two, it was two, two, but it's not whatever. Um, okay. So we agree on that. Let's just for argument's sake, let's say they win game five. Let's say they win a close game five and someone else does play well besides Julius. Let's say Julius is a good game. RJ is a good game. Someone else is a good game. Maybe Trey Young is a bad game. Um, does the notion of going into games like, I, I don't know. I, I, I think they could go into Atlanta in game six, despite the fact that Atlanta has not um, has like two losses under Nate McMillan um, in, in at home. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't take much to swing momentum. I just, man, they seem to be feeding off that home crowd pretty well. Um, I, if, if gun to your, well, I guess we, we could, I guess we could finish up with predictions. Gun to your head. What do you think about this series? We have to be honest. It's tough. Like I, based on what the Knicks are showing, it doesn't feel like they have the juice to be able to do it. But do you think they win Game Five? So here's my thought process on it. We have one half of basketball where Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson are starting with one another at home, and the Knicks did well in that half. So to (laughs) me, it's the idea of if you can kind of replicate that in MSG, are you able to create success from it? And if you are, game five is going to be a win. But then, of course, you know, you have to deal with the idea of Trey Young trying to close it out in Madison Square Garden where he has really embraced the villain role. And it becomes a lot harder to do. Um, but again, like this team, I'll say this. I think that it's obviously very daunting. But this team has shown time and time again that with their backs against the wall, they're able to do some really magical stuff. The idea of winning 12 games in a row, for example, right? When there yeah. were several times during that streak where it felt like it was very much in peril. And it wasn't. They wound up winning and they kept extending it. And even that game where they lost against the Suns, the first one, it was just like, okay, well, they still have a chance here. It, it could be a lot worse. And the Suns are a really good team. And yeah, no, they managed to pull together. So, I mean, yeah, of course they have a chance. They're going home where they're comfortable, where they've been better. It's just like, I, I really wish that today, 
I mean, yes, you could say that I wish Julius Randle played better today because maybe it results in a win, but even if it doesn't, right? Even if he's really good in a loss, that would have given me even more confidence. But I, what about RJ? RJ was RJ was really good today. I mean, he finished yes. with twenty three points on fifteen shots. He started slowly. He hit two from six, two of six from three. Had some nice buckets. Few of them were, were in transition, which we know he's that's his bread and butter. Um, it's not like he took over the game or anything. He had a good game, you know. Um, does that give you? I get. I have a little bit more confidence with that. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I probably. I'm going to trust Randall more than RJ because, again, Randall's really? the guy that... that Interesting. Yeah, I, okay. I don't know. Something about it. Like, I know he's having a tough series. I know that RJ is mostly thriving or has has historically this season been thriving in, in more of that off-ball catch-and-shoot role. But, again, like if they can create better open looks, if Randall can take advantage of mismatches, um, I think he can find more success. Because I thought he played more aggressive and I thought that that was only a good thing. Uh, it was just... A lot of, like there were putbacks that I thought would have been so easy. That oh my god, the, like, the, the shots he made! It feels like there's been ten of them in this series. Where it, you you you, I know the numbers around the rim this year are not good. I get that, but it just it feels like he's made these shots yeah. and he hasn't made them this this series. Here, I think I you know who I bet shows up. I bet quickly shows up in a big way in Game Five. I think he feeds off the crowd perhaps more than anybody else on the team. Um, I think if they play well in game five, I have confidence that this could still be a series and they could still win in seven. Here's my fear. And I probably shouldn't put this out into the open, but this is what I will say. My fear is that they start out tight and they, and the Hawks, the Hawks are going to be, that's, that's the other part of this, right? Cause the Hawks are going to go in there and be like, fucking, let's fucking have fun. If we lose by 50, we're going back home. Right. Um, I don't, th- th- you know, think they're going to think they'll lose by 50, but like the Hawks are going to play free and easy. And that's not how you want this team to play, but they are going to be f- playing free and easy. They are not going to start out tight like they did today, by the way. You want to talk about how this game could have been, been even worse. The Hawks started out bad. Uh, they were two of 12 to st- or one for 11, excuse me, from three to start this game. Um, so I think the Hawks are going to be playing with, with house money. They're free and easy. If the Knicks start out tight, and then expend all their energy and make a comeback because we know they're going to make a comeback because they always make comebacks at home, especially. Um, do they then run out of gas in the end? That's my fear. But my hope is that they will not come out tight, that they will come out with an inspired defensive performance, especially, which I feel like we still haven't seen this series, right? Do you think the Knicks have played? I, I, they've had stretches of really solid defense. I don't get the sense that they've ever yet come out of the gate and been like, we're going to lay it like I, I, and I feel like Trey is kind of scaring them, not scaring them. That's the wrong word, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. He They're re- so he cautious. A threat. Yes, right. exactly. He, yes. Thank you. They're overly I, cautious. You might say. I think Trey will basically do exactly what he did with game four. I think he's going to take pretty crazy shots because to, to him, they're not crazy because he can hit them. <laughs> yeah. And it's this idea of like, as you said, if I hit him, Great. If not, cool. We go back to Atlanta because we have to fly home there anyway, <laughs> even if we win the series <laughs> in Madison yeah. Garden. Yeah. And uh, we can just defend in front of our home crowd and, and win that game. And that philosophy, being able to, to work its magic, I think is a different story. But I will say that the Knicks, the Knicks won both first quarters in Atlanta. Yeah. 
whereas they were well, lucky on the game sure. three I mean, yes. one. Yeah, absolutely. But nonetheless, they, they yeah were they able did to succeed. The idea of them going to Madison Square Garden with that same starting five, the same way that they were able to do it, um, I think that could work. I think it could work for them. But it's uh, it's just it's the crowd. It is. It's tough. If they feed off the energy, that's one thing. But also if they just bunch up even more because they want to please the home crowd and they, you know, fans weren't really in the stands for such a long time and they just want to deliver something for them. I, I can see the pressure mounting. Well, I think it's really going to come down to like those first couple of Randall kicks to threes or maybe it's Randall taking the three himself. Do they go down? You know, I think that's going to be the key. I think I think guys like Bullock... You know, RJ saw it go through the hoop a few times, but guys like Bullock, Burks, Burks seems to be confident, but he just hasn't really played well. Quickly, like, I think they got to see the ball go through the basket. Um, and that sounds very uh, cliche and trite and the whole thing, but that's really what I think it's going to come down to. Um, I don't know. I don't think the series is over yet. This does not have the feel to me of a series that is over. It just, it's a massively uphill climb. Um, all right. Are we going to predict the score here? Sure. We've, I've been wrong every time, I think. So, um, what, what good am I? Um, did any of us, did either of us come close? What, what, I guess who, who had the larger margin of victory? Well, I know I, I've been saying they've been lower scoring games than they have, or that they've been close. I've been closer in terms of the margin. Okay. The, the total points. So then but you, you might've been closer to the margin. Than so them. you, you want to pick the score? Sure. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, 108, 104 Hawks. Wow, you think the Hawks could win? The reason I'm doing it is because oh. I've said the Knicks have won the last two games, and that has not happened. Um, so it is my attempt to. I said mush the mush last time, so I'm going to say mush the mush the mush. I, I don't. That's a lot of mush. It's a lot of mush. Um. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't feel. I don't. Feel, I think they. I think they could come out tight. Um, I really do think the Hawks are going to play free and easy. Uh, I don't know. Knicks. Knicks one hundred two. Hawks one hundred one. That's the best I got. I'm Andrew, you, you want? Is that what? a buzzer beater? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it's a buzzer beater. I think it's. Uh, I think it might be a defensive possession where they win the game on a defensive possession. I really I don't want to watch that game 102-101. I'd, I'd love for a blowout either side. I would not. I don't want the season to end in a blowout loss. I really don't want that but like, season to end But at least you then can point to they were better. They're a year ahead. Yeah, I no, get yeah, what you're yeah, saying, yeah, but yeah, it's, fine. it's funny. You keep, you've said that you don't think the series is over and you've also highlighted how in control of the series the Hawks have been pretty much since the beginning. Yes, I just keep going back to the shooting thing. I just can't get over that we've shot it so poorly. And I go back to every, every as I've referenced, every time this team's backs have been against the wall, they come out and they, and they, and they come back in a significant way. All of those have had to do with their shooting. They have made runs based on their threes. They hit threes at the mm-hmm. right time. It's how they won game um, two. Yeah. Yes, and it's how they won all of their big games this season because they come through with big shots. And even when they weren't really a really great three-point shooting team, they showed the propensity to be that in small bursts. 
Um, I, I, say, I, yeah. I, I think that the idea of the Knicks winning two games in the playoffs versus one game, look, there are going to be some fans who, who just think it had to be a playoff series and this is deflating nonetheless. But I think there's somebody to be said like, wow, this is a great season, but the Knicks only won one game versus the Hawks versus like, oh, they had a fighter's chance I mean, and you know sent the game back to Atlanta. Yeah, it wasn't what we wanted, but they were actually able to show some fight because I think that's, you know, when you see a blowout and it's this demoralizing, you think like, well, this is what it was all for. Why? I, <laughs> again, I, I, it goes back to that narrative. of oh, It's a stupid fucking narrative. It is. Of and, course and, it is. And again, I, like, I, we haven't done it yet. At some point, we will sit back and we will ref- we will be like, "Wait, this team won how many games this year? And they were what seed? And they got home they got home court. This team that was the laughing stock of professional sports sixteen months ago. They, I mean, Christ, <laughs> six how months fu- ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the off season. How many people yeah, are no, making fun like, of how little they spent? You know. Yeah, fine, but like the how long ago was the the Mills Perry presser? Um, that was November. Oh, yeah, it's, that's it's November tenth, twenty nineteen. Yeah. Jesus okay. Jeremy. Great. So we're in May. We're eighteen months removed from that, and that was. I mean, and that was just like, remember how that season was, and just how. Oh my God. And we're sitting here, and we're and we're bitching about a team that may not be able to push it to six games in a first round playoff series. Um, again, we will at some point we will be able to sit back and properly take that in and reflect on it that is not right now though um so whatever uh well, well let's finish andrew anything else before we finish up do you want a mini producer's corner where i ask you guys all the teams that have come back from 3-1 in the nba like to name them well, yeah how many can you name uh name i could name how many are there uh there's 13 there's been let's see there's one, only two, 13 in nba history it's 13 in nba history now are you one sure? two i'm looking right at it john oh wow <laughs> like are you sure <laughs> okay i mean I could, I could name i could name some okay so name some uh well warriors Cavs, obviously obviously the big one um uh pistons um magic the billups yes. uh tracy mcgrady that, team. Was, that was a one eight too that was the first year that the NBA switched in the first round. First of seven, From yeah. best of five to best of seven. So the Magic would have won that series had they not <sighs> switched the format. Don't ask me to name the year, but there was a Rockets Suns one in the mid-90s. That's the, the Elijah one year where they won, won the championship as a six seed. And they came back in round two against the Suns. And they came back from 3-1. Two of the games were on the road, too, which made it even more impressive. Games 5 and Game 7. So that's Um, three. There was a Suns-Mavs series in the mid-2000s. Nash, Nowitzki, something there. No? Was it a... There was definitely a... a, some Either Nowitzki, Duncan, or Nash was involved with Suns-Mavs-Spurs in a 3-1 comeback. So you're thinking of the Spurs against the Mavericks, the 2006 conference semis, where the Spurs came back and forced a game seven, but the Mavericks won Uh, in overtime. Okay. So let me take another easy one. Knicks Heat and 97, obviously. Yes, suspensions. Um, Yes. Hmm, that might actually be... There's the, two you're missing, like that are pretty significant and are recent. Two recent and significant. Yes. 
So you mentioned the Cavs coming back against the Warriors. The Warriors, oh, Warriors coming back against the Thunder. Against the OKC. Game six, Clay. Yeah, game six, Clay. Jeremy, I'm surprised. Jeremy, do you have any? My big one was Cavs Warriors. Okay. Um, <laughs> is there a Celtics one? There's there's one. There is a Celtics one. It's in the 80s, though. I was about and to the Celtics, say it's a long time ago. Yeah. The Celtics uh, came back from 3-1 against the Sixers in the 81 Eastern Conference Finals. Um... Is there a Suns one from the 70s? There is. They blew one to the Lakers in 1970. And okay. the Suns then, I'll just give you this one, uh, as a two-seed against the seven-seeded Lakers in 2006, the oh Suns my God. Uh, came back from 3-1. Oh I forget that. The Kobe game winner in game four, uh, <sighs> the Suns came back from 3-1. That was yeah, Kobe. How could I yeah. forget that? That was a good one. And there's a you said there's another recent one that's that's obvious. So you know how big of a Chris Paul fan I am. In oh my goodness! 2015, the Clippers Houston. were up three one against Clippers. Houston. Yeah, yeah. I think we've bit. named all of them. Um, no, I don't think we named thirteen, but that's a bunch of them. But at the well, we named most of them. Uh, the two, the only two big ones that are recent that you missed, the Nuggets did it twice last year in the bubble. That's right. Oh my God. I completely, yeah. <laughs> I completely forgot about both of them. Yeah. You know why? You see, but that's funny because the reason why my initial reaction was, oh my God, there was only 13 was because I, I think it subconsciously like last year it like happened twice and like we just, you know, we didn't even bat an eyelash. Yeah, um, exactly. And that was a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. Um, it could happen. It could happen. Um, it all right. Happen. On that note, um, anything else, uh, Andrew? No. Apologies for my wife, everybody. Um, Jeremy tried to mush the mush. I apparently have a bit going on Twitter where a legitimate reverse jinx is happening. So if you want to use that as hope, before the series, I said Hawks in six. There's your reverse jinx. Everything I've said is wrong. So the Knicks are coming back. Since, well, I just won't say anything else that could potentially also be reverse jinx. Just no, pl- please don't. Hawks and six. We'll see how it works. Jeremy? Uh, I hope we can keep talking about games. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. So that's I'll just all, leave it at that. That's all I want. I want to keep talking about games. I don't want it to end yet. Um, but... Um, we will roll with it as we always do. Everybody out there, thanks for checking out another episode of the Next Film School podcast. We will be back with you with another one um, before you know it, as always, because uh, we got nothing better to do. All right. Uh, see everybody later and adios. Adios.